We will stand on principle, or we will not stand at all. Thank you, Alexander Kateb, for being here. Hi, everyone. This is Thierry Aris, who is here again for a new podcast on uh, Principle Discord, the podcast that tries to establish the principles that work uh, and help you understand better the system as it is today. Today, we are joined by Alexander Kateb, who is the founder of the Multipolarity Report. Uh, he also happens to be a professor uh, at Sciences Po Paris. So, Alexandre, thank you for being here and welcome. Thank you, Thierry, for having me on this uh, podcast. So, Alexandre, can you tell us, uh, for the audience, a little bit more about you and what your double hat, what are you focusing at the moment? Sure. Uh, I am uh, an economist. I have a background in financial uh, economics. I worked uh, at the French Central Bank for uh, some years. Uh, then I also worked uh, for the financial industry as an economist, strategist, uh, and um, a consultant on uh, diverse uh, issues. And I am mostly interested in uh, financial and monetary economics. Uh, as of late, I founded a, a website and research service, which is called the Multipolarity Report, uh, which, uh, in which I develop uh, my uh, views and my uh, research on global macro uh, issues and geopolitics and which uh, builds uh, heavily on my uh, professional experience uh, and uh, on my thesis on uh, um, the, the move toward a multipolar uh, world, a post-Western, post-American world, in which uh, um, new rising powers like China, uh, like Russia, like India, uh, are defining the global uh, agenda. And uh, this is really uh, the credo that, uh, that supports all uh, this uh, research effort. So, Polarization is a word that we hear a lot recently. When did you find your uh, multipolarity uh, report? Yes, that's correct, uh, Thierry. Uh, polarization is really what is at the heart of uh, this new world order, which is uh, based uh, uh, on uh, the um, uh, rivalities between uh, the incumbent uh, powers, uh, mostly the United States, which defined uh, the world in which we are living today, uh, following World War II, all the, the, the system, the geopolitical, the monetary system that we are living today, and uh, the uh, emerging uh, powers uh, like China, uh, but also uh, Russia, which is a re-emerging power, so to say, uh, India and Brazil, the BRICS, um, uh, which are uh, redefining uh, or trying to redefine this uh, global order uh, and trying to uh, bring uh, new uh, rules which are more inclusive, uh, so to say, uh, and which uh, uh, also reflect the evolving uh, balances of uh, power uh, at the geopolitical and at the economic and financial levels. Right, so the, the word polarization, I think, works also at the macro and at the micro level. We say... Um, polarization in politics, we see polarization in uh, the haves and the have-nots, um, and overall this is kind of a recipe for conflict. Um, how do you see 
this polarization playing out in the next couple of years? Well, I think you are right to mention the fact that uh, conflict is really uh, at the heart of uh, uh, this uh, dynamic. Uh, and uh, it is uh, uh, natural because you have uh, a new power, a uh, new superpower like China, which is trying to uh, um, gain uh, um, more prominence uh, in the system and trying to uh, uh, tweak uh, the, the rules, so to say, the hegemony of the United States and uh, the Western uh, world. So this inevitably can lead to uh, conflicts if the rules are not um, changed to accommodate this uh, rise of uh, the new powers. I think the, the, the main argument here is that uh, uh, we need really to uh, change the rule in a proactive fashion and to be very forward-looking in the world that we, we are living and that we want to live in in 20 or 30 years from now. Um, and this is the only way uh, for me uh, to prevent this conflict from turning into something that could be uh, really ugly and that could remind uh, the last uh, um, global uh, military conflicts that uh, the world has uh, uh, gone through in the in the 20th century, for example. Right. So, so the name of the game is consensus or confrontation. Uh, so, it, uh, Alexandra, you will be part of uh, the event, uh, MonetaryReset.net. Uh, as part of an expert, precisely speaking about uh, central banks, central bank digital currencies, and how does that play within the balance of powers in geopolitics. Uh, one of the big questions uh, that are asked is, does it really make sense uh, for central banks to implement uh, those uh, decentralized systems since they are by definition central and centralized central banks? Uh, you yourself have uh, very familiar, a lot of familiarity with the uh, uh, Banque de France, uh, and so what is uh, your perspective? Uh, your perspective, uh, uh, given given your expertise on uh, what would be your advice, uh, or where do you see the opportunities and the threat of central bank digital currencies? Yes, well, thank you. Yeah, it's it's a, a very uh, new and fast developing. Uh, uh, you know, uh, topic and feel, obviously, the, the, the CBDC's uh, area. Um, I think uh, the, the, the main point here is that uh, uh, central banks uh, um, have been quite uh, uh, resistant to uh, this uh, new uh, financial innovation that we have seen uh, come uh, over the last decade, and uh, especially the cryptocurrencies uh, like mm -hmm. Bitcoin and the like. Uh, which uh, were perceived as a challenge for uh, central banks, uh, uh, you know, control over monetary power, uh, so to say. Um, and um, this was actually at the margins of the system, these this, uh, uh, cryptocurrencies. Uh, but then uh, you have a player like Facebook, uh, which uh, uh, has announced that it will uh, roll uh, out its own uh, uh, digital currency, and That's given right. that, uh, Facebook has uh, 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 many billions uh, uh, users and uh, uh, members. Uh, it, it gives you an idea of the of the impact that it it's can. kind of like a country on its own, right? So right. if you have many billions of users, it's almost like you have a, 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 the, the the power of uh, 
of controlling, uh, to a certain extent, uh, um, uh, an economy within an economy. Exactly. You have a, a, a massive uh, power. Uh, you can, uh, you know, write your own rules, uh, mm. and uh, you can you can also uh, define your own monetary policy. You can, uh, for example, uh, um, you know, start to uh, uh, to afford credits and loans to your users uh, in in your own uh, currency, digital currency, uh, and this means that you have uh, basically the power of uh, money creation. So you are uh, really challenging uh, the central banks uh, uh, in the very uh, essence of uh, their, uh, you know, uh, mission. Um, That's so, right. Yeah. So, so, so one of the questions, because, because in this podcast, we like to speak about principles. Yeah. And one of the principles that this puts into question is who is to issue currencies we see from the theories of uh, Hayek, like the Hayek Bank, where you have private money uh, that has evolved into a central bank system, a fractional reserve system, and a, and a different setup of, uh, of, of a, another type of banking system since the creation of the Federal Reserves in the 1920s. Um, now, how do you see this questioning this authority? And then also, is there any difference whatsoever when it comes to sovereignty, given that the idea at first was to have an independent central bank from uh, politicizing uh, money, uh, right? And then, unfortunately, what we see today is, is, is precisely money being politicized again, be it for trade wars, currency wars, or even within the country to monetize the, the, the money. So one of the questions I want to ask is, today, most Western central banks, except from the PBOC, who's absolutely public, uh, are also private entities. So what, is, what would be the difference between a Facebook issuing a currency or a bunch of coders issuing uh, Bitcoin and a central bank? Well, um, first, uh, you really mentioned that uh, throughout history, there has been a kind of a struggle between uh, sovereign entities, uh, states uh, and uh, treasuries uh, and then central banks uh, on one side and uh, private players on the other side. Actually, the private players have always existed. For example, uh, during the, the Renaissance uh, uh, period, you, you had uh, the uh, um, you know the rise of uh, private bankers in uh, Italy, in Switzerland, in Flanders. Uh, right. Those uh, those uh, private bankers actually um, they were the first uh, ones to issue um, you know uh, uh, paper currencies. Uh, these were um, indeed like uh, invoice uh, bills that could be discounted uh, from uh, Italy uh, uh, up to uh, Denmark, for example. Um, and this was part of a network, of a transnational network. Um, right. At the time, uh, the, the, the national states had only like uh, metallic uh, currencies. And then uh, what, what uh, uh, really uh, happened is that uh, uh, those private bankers stated to finance the states, Instead, and the states started to issue those redeemable uh, debt certificates, and those debt certificates 
Um, these are uh, now what, what we uh, call uh, um, paper money, actually. Right, so central bank liabilities, basically, exactly. which is uh, the fiat system that we live in. Exactly. Uh, but then uh, I think the, the question of Bitcoin yep. is that when Bitcoin came in, the question it asked everybody, at least the, 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 what I credit them for, for, for doing, is to question what is money. So to you, Alexander, what, what is money, given the history of money, that the, the 3,000 years of being gold, now we're in a fully fiat system, unpegged from the gold standard, first in 1930s with Truman, then completely in the 1971 with uh, Nixon. Where are we now when it comes to what is money? Yes, absolutely. This is the, the key question, uh, Thierry, and thanks for, for asking it. Actually, for me, money, is, it's quite simple. Uh, it is, uh, first, it is a store of value. Um, so uh, it enables you to, uh, to store uh, the, the, the result of your work, for example, uh, in, a, in, a, in a means, in a medium that could uh, last throughout the ages. And this yep. was really what we had with the, the first, uh, you know, gold, silver, uh, monies, uh, and uh, other forms of, of uh, asset-backed monies. Um, and um, you, money is also a medium of exchange for transactions uh, between different people. So it allows you, it allows you to exchange uh, um, in a very practical way uh, different goods and services, one against the other, which would be basically right. possible if you had to, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, you know, uh, calculate how many uh, barrels of wine you have to exchange uh, for. Uh, one uh, you know kilogram of uh, of uh, bananas or, or whatever. Um, so I think these uh, two dimensions are uh, really uh, fundamental. And uh, I think uh, what you mentioned about the politicization of uh, of money that uh, that is uh, uh, you know issued by the central banks uh, is that um, there are some people that are losing confidence in uh, the impartiality of these uh, sovereign bodies. Uh, um, and in their capacity to uh, guarantee uh, that uh, uh, these uh, uh, currencies and this money uh, will, um, can be a store of value over the long term, you know, because if you issue more and more money, so basically it right. loses its uh, buying power. That's right. Well, when, when, studying, when, when studying history, you, you quickly find out that there is no currency whatsoever that a paper currency or fiat currency that lasts more than 100 years without being completely devalued to zero. Uh, but then we also see that, uh, so, so would you include uh, that money would to, within the principles? Uh, I mean, we understand it's, it's unit of account, it's a medium of exchange, it's a store of value. Uh, it seems to me that fiat currencies uh, make the first two, which is unit of account and medium of exchange. But when it comes to store of value, it kind of defaults on that over the long term. Uh, as opposed to gold, um, uh, given the broader spectrum of today of money, what would be your money of choice? Well, I think, uh, you know, my money of, ch of, uh, of choice uh, uh, would be a money that would not be uh, used for political uh, reasons. So I would favor a conservative monetary policy that would basically issue the money uh, uh, which is uh, the... Uh, you know, the counterpart of a country's capacity to produce uh, wealth. Uh, if you go beyond that capacity, and if you try to 
to issue more money just to reflate uh, the assets that you already have, then you uh, basically debase the money. So I would not trust over the very long term this kind of uh, money. Um, when it comes to gold uh, the, 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 or silver, uh, the main strength of, uh, of these uh, uh, you know, uh, um, gold and silver-based uh, currencies is that there are no liabilities. Uh, there, there, there are no strings Correct. attached uh, and uh, they are uh, rare. And what makes them valuable is actually the fact that uh, they, they are rare and that it takes a lot of energy and uh, human work to uh, excavate and uh, to extract, uh, you know, uh, gold from uh, beneath uh, the earth. And actually right. the same with the uh, cryptocurrencies like right. uh, Bitcoin, for example, Ethereum uh, um, and uh, others. Uh, it takes, uh, it takes uh, human uh, work. It takes uh, energy, it takes uh, effort uh, to produce these uh, uh, currencies. It's not infinite. Yeah, you cannot. Uh, you know? Yeah, you, you, you touch on a point that is uh, very important because be behind the definition of, of money, I, I always used to say at the end of the day, what you really want is to store energy and time in a, in a proper fashion and within, within the, within the la everlasting. Uh, uh, time. I mean, that's why we used to use gold because of the chemical element was immutable through time. But um, going back to the principle of things, uh, I understand uh, what you said and when you touched on a very good point when you say that money should not be politicized, uh, yet most of the time it is the not. Uh, but today, we do see free competition of money to a certain extent by the FX rate. So you spoke about um, conservative approach in monetary policy versus not, and then you would see those currency fluctuations, uh, correct? Uh, yet today we are reaching the point where currency wars are back in the play. Uh, and where you see pegs, for example, I'm in Switzerland, uh, you are in France and we have the yeah. Euro, Swiss peg. Uh, so are we are we really in a free market of currencies um, in the sense that, you know, uh, we, we would like to think that it is a free float on the first side, currency to currency. Yeah. Are we also in a free market when it comes to the price of money? Because the price of money is the interest rate. And the interest rate today uh, for the Federal Reserve, for the ECB, for the Japanese, uh, for the major central banks, are defined by, uh, by an FOMC meeting, uh, by a group of people. And even though it used to be the long bond that was kind of free floating, uh, according to the market, we now see artificially low interest rate, which, which is what it is, which is artificial. And you do see central banks stepping beyond their first primary uh, reason of being, which in the case of the ECB, uh, you know, stability of prices, in the case of the US, uh, growth and employment on top. And now we even see Christine Lagarde speaking about climate or maybe even gender. Uh, what do you, so to, 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 answer, to answer straight, are we on a free market? Yes or no? And second, are we not deviating strongly from the first principles of central banking? Well, thank you. Uh, regarding your first question, I think uh, there, there are two answers, basically. 
the first, um, you know, mostly apparent answer is to say that we are in the free market because these currencies are convertible. You can exchange them one for another whenever and wherever you want. Um, and, uh, and this is basically the, the principle on which the system uh, of uh, free uh, money convertibility and free float is based since the collapse of the uh, Bretton Woods uh, system in 1975. But on the on the on the more uh, you know deeper perspective, actually, and this is also my credo, is that uh, uh, the system is not actually a, a free float system. Uh, actually, we we are living uh, in a tiered system, in which you have like uh, hegemonic currencies, like the uh, U.S. dollar, for example, and to a lesser extent uh, the euro, um, um, and also the yen for for a few countries that are uh, in the periphery of Japan, and these uh, these uh, uh, you know hegemonic currencies. Uh, um, they uh, managed to build uh, uh, monetary zones around them. That's the so-called idea of the Bretton Woods uh, uh, two uh, system, uh, which uh, was debated a few years uh, ago, uh, relatively to the role of the dollar in other countries, uh, as you have uh, pegs uh, in, in many countries which are pegged to the dollar. Uh, well, in Europe, you have countries that are pegged to the euro as well. And obviously, what happens uh, the, in uh, the United States or what happens in uh, the Eurozone through the European Central Banks uh, is, um, uh, is critical for uh, those countries uh, around that are, um, you know, in a way, uh, they lost their monetary uh, freedom. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they are forced to uh, um, adapt and to apply the same monetary policy because they are very dependent on these uh, markets. So and exchange uh, rates, yeah. is no, we are in a tiered system, and uh, there are geo geopolitical uh, reasons as well. Uh, and uh, the obvious uh, uh, example is the United States with the dollar, uh, which is uh, really uh, a currency uh, that is, uh, um, you know, a global uh, exchange and reserve currency. And this is possible only uh, because the United States uh, has uh, also uh, such. Uh, uh, um, a powerful, uh, you know, uh, economy uh, and also military uh, military capacities, capabilities um, that uh, they can enforce actually uh, U.S. Uh, law and order uh, everywhere in the world, and that's what is being challenged right now. Right. So, the, step stepping in there uh, about the, the challenge, we do see kind of uh, central banks being forced to adopt uh, new technology pushed by the private sector initiatives. Uh, but we also see that uh, major central banks are looking at CBDCs and uh, going a little bit forward, uh, we can imagine um, most of them, at least uh, they're, quite, they're, they're onto it, they're, they have projects that we don't know if they're gonna materialize or not, but we do see China very aggressively pushing now for the digital renminbi or digital run, uh, and then we do. We can expect the U.S. dollar maybe in a in a theoretical world uh, quite soon to to do the same, if not the euro. Uh, within that spectrum, do you think the game will change? Do you think the way those currencies are done will have an impact, uh, wholesale or retail, private or public? Uh, and in the long scheme of things, who do you see winning? 
Well, I think uh, um, the rise of uh, CBDCs, uh, first, uh, uh, it should be seen as a technical uh, innovation because right. uh, it's, a, it's a way, uh, you know, basically to uh, replace uh, uh, cash in the long run. Uh, the idea is that people uh, won't need any more, uh, you know, paper or, or uh, metallic uh, cash and the cash will be electronic. That's, that's uh, really, I think, the, the, the first rationale for, for CBDCs. And we see that, for example, uh, uh, recently in the Bahamas uh, Island, uh, where they uh, issued uh, the sand dollar, uh, which is basically a, a digital national currency. And, uh, and really, the, the official uh, objective is to replace uh, the cash in circulation. And the more they will issue this electronic money, uh, uh, the more they will withdraw from the market uh, uh, the equivalent uh, amount of uh, uh, cash that is circulated. So you see the, the one, one-to-one uh, relationship. Um, but I think CBDCs go much beyond that uh, because uh, uh, they enable also uh, um, you know, uh, transactions in a faster and uh, uh, much more straightforward way. Uh, and uh, they, they, they can... Uh, you know, skip the intermediaries, uh, basically the banks, uh, and allow um, people, individuals, companies, uh, really to exchange money uh, between them without the need to have a banking account. So I think uh, this is the second revolution, is uh, really the, the revolution in financial services. And for the banking industry, it's a, a huge challenge. Uh, I think it's not currently really... Uh, reflected in uh, the, the strategic thinking of, uh, of many large uh, banks. Uh, um, they, don't, they, they see CBDCs, but they don't see the impact. And I think the impact will be tremendous. But it will not uh, come uh, uh, from one day to, to the other. It will take some time. But once, it, once the CBDCs start to be accepted, we will see that with China, uh, perhaps in 2022, uh, when China will uh, host the Olympic uh, uh, Games, uh, um, and I think they, they plan to really release uh, the digital uh, renminbi at that time. So this will be really a game changer. Um, and if the experiment is conclusive, then I think uh, this will uh, you know, uh, be uh, circulated uh, uh, more um, broadly uh, in China. And, uh, and also it can also fund uh, you know, Chinese initiatives uh, all across the world. And uh, this is the third implication, which is geopolitical. For example, if you take the, um, um, the, the um, you know, the, uh, sil- the new Silk Roads, the, the bridge uh, and the road uh, initiative, uh, mm-hmm. basically, um, uh, which, uh, which is uh, a Chinese uh, geopolitical and economic project to link uh, many countries and basically to secure its supplies of uh, commodities uh, um, going forward. Um, the digital renminbi could be, uh, you know, uh, really uh, the, 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 the kind of uh, uh, new, um, you know, uh, cement that will uh, put together uh, all these countries around China. So uh, the, 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 you know, positive uh, impact uh, and the positive outcome uh, for China uh, will be tremendous if it manages to impose uh, uh, this currency in its uh, uh, transactions uh, uh, all over uh, this, uh, you know, uh, geopolitical um, uh, group of, uh, of 
Right, but when you, you touch on the um, uh, Belt and Road Initiative or Silk Road, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, and it seems to me that a lot of these countries who are already in the, in the financial system, for some of them, um, deeply indebted uh, with dollars, uh, and so therefore would have these liabilities towards the US and the political power that comes with it as, as, a, as being a, a detonation, uh, right, uh, to the IMF or to other American controlled institutions. Uh, and then on the other side, you have the commercial link with, with China. Uh, do you think the transition to a bipolar world will be done smoothly or do you think that the conflict is inevitable? I think uh, um, at some point uh, uh, the conflict um, will be very uh, difficult to escape when you have really two superpowers that are competing. We have seen that uh, during the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union. Yeah. Uh, and uh, now the difference with China is that China uh, really emphasized its economic uh, uh, power and its uh, its uh, uh, the economic opportunities because it implemented uh, uh, some version of market economy, uh, whereas the Soviet Union uh, was only about uh, you know military power uh, and ideology, which uh, in the long uh, run failed to uh, attract uh, um, uh, the people around the world and to to build a lasting coalition. So, uh, so given what you just said. Would you bet on the Chinese bloc or the American bloc? Uh, it's it's difficult uh, to say. Uh, I think uh, I think uh, we will probably uh, uh, see something uh, emerging that will try to accommodate these these two uh, uh, blocks, uh, some kind of uh, economic uh, monetary cold war, if you if you like. We are, we are already seeing the economic and the trade uh, cold war. I think we will see this monetary cold war where you have uh, um, countries that are uh, more, um, you know, dependent uh, from the United States and others from China. But in the long run, what will determine really the, the outcome of this competition is uh, the uh, technological uh, capability of uh, either country and its technological advance. And in this regard, what I am seeing now, and I'm not expert on this subject, is that uh, the United States is slightly, uh, you know, uh, losing uh, its uh, technological advance. Um, right. We are seeing it in uh, LED uh, budgets. We are seeing it uh, uh, in the number of patents uh, uh, that are still uh, the largest in the world, but uh, um, their the, 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 uh, growth is, is slowing and uh, China is gaining uh, market share in this area. So at some point, uh, I think if China manages to, uh, you know, um, further its, uh, its uh, progress in this area, it will become a very serious competitor uh, to the United States. I think there is only... Well, I, I, I agree. And then me, me coming from uh, Mexico, which has a big dependence on the Americas, yes. uh, I'm pretty happy to be here in Switzerland as a neutral country uh, <laughs> and kind of an observer in that sense. Uh, and when it comes to money, I have voted with my wallet uh, towards gold, which is also a neutral currency and not a legal tender. Uh, but we will see. We will see if there is 
uh, movements there. Uh, Alexander, we're reaching the end of the post of this podcast, so I would ask you uh, this one last question: What uh, is your important message you would like to transmit, or perhaps your controversial views on a on a particular subject uh, to our auditors? What would you what would be your main message for for the years to come? Well, you know, uh, I think uh, my main uh, message uh, is. Uh, um, to really watch carefully what is uh, uh, what is really um, now being developed, especially in China and in other uh, non-Western countries. I think uh, this is where really we are seeing most new things uh, coming. Uh, one, one really big step is, for example, the IPO of uh, Ant Financial Group in Hong Kong and Shenzhen which would be the largest uh, IPO uh, ever, um, even uh, uh, surpassing uh, Saudi Aramco's uh, IPO uh, you know, last year. Uh, and this is really a, a taste of things to come, uh, because uh, it shows you that uh, the Chinese authorities, with, their, with all their you know, ideology and centralization of power, they managed to uh, give enough space to innovators and they are innovation friendly, actually, and they adopt these uh, new innovations. They are actually leading in the electronic payments revolution. And perhaps tomorrow they will be leading in the CBDCs and in the digital uh, currencies, uh, more broadly speaking. Well, that's that's absolutely right. And then what you make me think of is also that I've heard uh, not so long ago at the WEF that uh, information is the new oil. Uh, and that it seems to me that the largest IPOs that we are talking about is precisely technology versus oil. And we do see technology taking ahead. So maybe, it's, as it's you said future. previous, It's the future uh, against the past, basically. So maybe, as, as you said previously, it probably will be technology that will define uh, the future of the world. Thank you very much, Alexander. Uh, and of course, uh, I will tell the viewers this uh, one thing that if you want to uh, follow Alexander, uh, look it up. Also, the multipolarity report uh, to know what is coming next. Uh, and on that note, I will say goodbye to you and so till the next time. Thank you, Sheree. Bye. We will stand on principle, or we will not stand at all.